Anybody else who'd rather hang out with them than be in here and listen to me? I guess you're welcome to go too. Well, way back in September, uh, we began a journey through a video series uh, called For the Life of the World. If you haven't been here, um, they're on our website. You can watch the videos and listen to the messages you want, but at least watch the videos. They're, they're pretty interesting. I can't vouch for the sermons all the time, but, but the videos are pretty compelling. And in episode one, the very first video, they asked the question, what is our salvation for? What is our salvation for? Not what are we saved from, which is a message that you'll probably hear across the country in a lot of churches this morning, but what are we saved for? In other words, what's our purpose as individual followers of Christ and more importantly as the church with the days we have left on this earth? And the answer proposed in the video was this, is that all is gift. So we're to be a gift And once we've encountered God in our life, as as we've seen um, him satisfy those deepest longings in us, it's pretty easy for us to begin to feel like this earth isn't home any longer. As God satisfies us, we we realize there's a deep dissatisfaction in the world and and the pain and the things that we experience here, that the earth isn't home And God validates that in his word. He tells us that once we have become children of God, that we are now citizens of heaven. And so in many ways, we are strangers and foreigners and exiles on earth in this time that we have here. But that reality doesn't let us off the hook. There's still a purpose for us in exile. So in the Old Testament, the Jews, it's kind of their story Okay, And they're very familiar with this condition of exile. Many, many times their nation, um, because, primarily because of their disobedience to God, is overrun by a foreign invader. And they are carried off into exile as captives of another empire. And in one of those times in particular in the book of Jeremiah, they have just been conquered by the Babylonians. And so the Israelites that kind of survived that are pulled over into Babylon, which today is in Iraq. And God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah, and he talks to them about the posture and the perspective that they're supposed to have as exiles in this foreign country. And we started with this um, way back at the beginning, Jeremiah 29, 7. I think it speaks to us a lot today as well. It says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And if you're the parent of child 64, you better get moving, right? <laughs> yeah, you won't see that in, in your Bible, but it's in there. So, Okay, so that, that's the word that God has for those exiles as they hit into it. That's, that's the way he wants to approach this time. So if we look at it in our, in our context today, then we understand that we have a responsibility to God. We also have a responsibility to the city in which we've been called, the city of St. Joseph, to love and to serve and to pray for the peace and prosperity of this city, to be a blessing as people who've been blessed, okay? So all of life is a gift, including our salvation. 
So when you hear that term salvation and you understand that you've been saved, what all is wrapped up into that term? What have you gained from your salvation? What are some things that you've gained from that? If you had to boil them down to one word, what would be some of those things? Eternal life? Yeah, what else? What's that? Grace. Thank you. Yes, what else? Purpose? Okay, yeah. Forgiveness? Forgiveness? Good. Keep coming. What's that? Mercy. Yes. Hope. Hope. Great. What's that? Freedom. Yes. Peace. Joy. I mean, we could keep going down the list, right? All of these things that are given to us at that time when, when Christ enters into our life and makes his home in us, all the things that are true about God become true about us. All those qualities that he possesses become our qualities, our reality. And so we are called then to share those gifts with the people of the city in which we've been called, not just as individuals in our own personal life and interactions with people, but also primarily as the church, as the church. And in the video last week, Stephen, who was, is the guy with the beard and the bow tie, right? he stood up and he said something very important. Um, he said, if you, if you don't remember anything else from this video, this whole series, he said, make sure you get this. And this is what he said. He said, the church is the body of Christ given as a gift for the life of the world. The church is the body of Christ given as a gift for the life of the world. So why is this corporate role of the church so important for us to understand? Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. It's page 815. These letters that we're reading um, are letters that Paul wrote to new churches, uh, primarily in the Mediterranean area. Ephesus was a city in Greece, and so it was a, a letter written to the church in Ephesus. Okay, So he's writing these young Christians, this new church, and this is what he says in, in chapter 3, verse 10. He's talking about God. He says, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His intent was that now through the church. So let me explain a little bit about the context of what we're talking about and why this was so critical in Paul's time. So in the first century, okay, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he goes up to heaven and all that, you've got these people that are missionaries that are taking this gospel message out from Israel out to the rest of the Mediterranean world for the very first time. They're hearing about this. So these new churches are starting. And before it had been primarily that the Jewish people were the people of God. This was Jesus was a Jew. All the disciples were Jews. Okay. But now Paul is, is taking, he's a Jew. He's taking this message to non-Jews or Gentiles. Okay. Anybody that wasn't Jewish. And so now you've got Gentiles who are ethnically different, culturally different, speak different languages, had worshipped pagan gods, now blending with the Jews 
who had only worshipped one God and kind of felt like they were the chosen people, right? Now, now Jesus says this message is open to everyone. And so now those different groups of people now have to come under one banner, one roof, as the church of Jesus Christ, Christians, for the very first time. And they have to learn how to get along and make that work. And the world was watching, you know, is this Christianity thing going to last? Can these Jews and Gentiles really get along and begin to love one another like, like brothers and sisters in Christ that God says they were, okay? And Paul made this new identity as a church very clear in Galatians, another letter that he wrote to another church in Galatians 3. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So he says all those old distinctions that you used to live by that separate you as people are gone. Now you are all one people, okay? So that's the new reality. And if we can live like one, then it says the manifold wisdom of God, that'll be a testimony to the the powers and the authorities in this Roman world, that God was smart in doing this and bringing all of us together like that, okay? We experience our own challenges with this, don't we? Even in America, right? We, we have this random group of people that's here this morning. Some of you guys knew each other before you came. Some of you didn't. And you're thrown into this church, Wellspring at 21st and Jewels, and you're told, hey, get along with one another, right? Become family with one another, and that's, that's a very different concept for us. We're not used to living like that. And so in a lot of ways, when we come here together as a church body, we have to choose to love each other. It's a choice, okay? And the degree to which we're united and we act as one portrays to the world the wisdom of God. And when we resist that oneness, and there's a lot of ways that we can do that, by considering ourselves maybe better than some other people that are here, or even really kind of the weird flip side of that is like considering ourselves less than others, because that's really not healthy either. Or when we uh, don't forgive one another, or when we hold grudges against people here, or when we gossip about other people in our church, or when we kind of stick to ourselves and don't really go out of our way to get to know anybody else. That communicates something as well, and it's not good, (laughs) and we'll get to that more later on this morning. Now, in the video last week, they were talking about the church, and they introduced two Greek words that are used in the Bible uh, at different times to talk about the role of the church, what they're supposed to do and be. Uh, Those two words, if you remember, I might be amazed. Uh, One of them is anamnesis, which we talked about last week, and the other word is prolepsis, Right, And last week we talked about this word anamnesis, which means a lived memory. A lived memory, which means that we remember what Christ has done for us in action, not just in thought. Okay, So as Christians, we develop these things over centuries to help us remember who God is and what he's done for us. And so we have rituals like communion and baptism. Right, We have a church calendar which gives us seasons uh, to celebrate, 
like Advent and Christmas and Lent and Easter that help us remember the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. And we enter in those things to, to help us remember. And we also remember Christ's love and grace and forgiveness for us when we show love and grace and forgiveness to others. It's in the actions that we show the world what it is we truly believe in our hearts and minds. Okay? It's a lived memory. The other term is prolepsis, or as the video said, the not yet now. And that can be kind of confusing. I saw another definition for it this week as I was kind of studying, and it said this. Prolepsis is speaking of something future as though already done or existing. Okay? So, what does that mean? Well, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God. I did a whole series a few years ago on the kingdom of God because Jesus talks about it so much. And if you look back through, and what that means is kind of the reign of God, the, the, his way of operating that he's trying to bring to this world. And if you look in, in the Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, you see time and again, Jesus will begin a story with this phrase, the kingdom of God is like Right? And then it'll go on to compare it to something like a mustard seed or, or like a little bit of yeast that's worked into a batch. Or, you know, he, he uses all these different analogies that, that help connect with people. The kingdom of God, God's way of operating, his economy. And it flies in the face. It's counter to the way the world's economy works, the kingdoms of this earth. Right? And our earthly kingdoms, um, they tell us that, you know, the way to get ahead in life, the way to be happy is just through power and prestige and success and material gain and, and all those things. While Jesus said and showed us that God's kingdom is about humility, it's about laying down your life, it's about being faithful and obedient in the little things, it's about loving the least of these. And he turned the whole thing upside down and he said that's the kingdom of God if you really want to be joyful and happy and content and at peace and all those things you're gonna to have to live that way you have to reorient your mind and why am i telling you all this <laughs> where am i going it's a great question as i wrote in my notes reel reel it in bob reel it in here we go all right <clears throat> so the most famous prayer in the bible is the lord's prayer okay and jesus's followers had been you know, hanging around with him for three years, and they had heard Jesus pray many, many times, and they started to notice that when Jesus prayed, he prayed differently than they prayed. That they noticed that there was this intimacy with God in the way Jesus prayed that they hadn't experienced. And they noticed that when Jesus prayed about things, that he really believed that things were going to happen, that when he prayed that there was this power that was unleashed through his prayers in his life. And people were healed and amazing things were happening. And they said, they saw the gap between how they prayed and how Jesus prayed. And they said, God, teach us how to do that. We want to move in this direction. And so he gave them this prayer. And I want you to say it with me. And we'll use the word debt and debtors, okay? He said, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So in there is a very important phrase that I want to land on this morning, and it's this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does Jesus tell us to pray this? Remember in the video, at one point, it was a couple, couple of videos ago, Stephen pulls a book off the shelf, and it's a book about winemaking. Do you remember? And he hands it to Evan, and he said, what does this knowledge taste like? What does this knowledge taste like? Because it's not very fun to have a book about winemaking, right? You want to experience what wine tastes like when you're 21, right? I don't want you to go home and say, the pastor said I need to learn what wine tastes like. He put a stamp of approval on it. And here's the thing that God is saying to us. He's saying, folks, you can take this book and you can go and you can tell people about the kingdom of God and about heaven and about eternity and and a lot of other mysterious things that, that sometimes are hard to grasp. And you can talk about it in ways that a lot of times the average person that doesn't really know the word, hasn't experienced God much, really won't get So Jesus, in effect, says to his followers, the church, he says, guys, I want you guys to give this world a taste of the kingdom. I want you to tell them what this information tastes like. And I want you to pull the the future kingdom, the way things that will be in heaven when it's all perfectly the way God designed in the beginning, I want you to pull that back to the now. Prolepsis. The not yet, now. Okay, a lot of times we kind of want to push the kingdom off as it's this thing we're going to get to experience when we're out of this horrible, corrupt world we're in. But God is saying the exact opposite. I want you to pull it back into here, okay? Because many Christians have this perspective. The world sucks, and it's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Miley Cyrus, ISIS, right? Two examples, (laughs) all right? So we just kind of have to endure it, right? We just kind of have to endure this earth so that we can get to heaven one day and everything will be great. We're just kind of biding our time. But God says, no, there's hope for Miley. I haven't written her off. God says, no, guys, listen, I want you to live the kingdom now as best as you can as a community of faith, I want you to whet people's appetite for heaven by bringing the qualities of the kingdom of heaven to the here and now, into this earth that I'm in the process of restoring back to its original glory. N.T. Wright, a famous theologian, he puts it like this. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. Not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. So the church maintains the hope of the not yet by living the kingdom now. 
The church is the lived memory of God's purposes in this world. And so as Christians, as Wellspring Community Church, our role, our purpose in this world is to live out the kingdom as best that we can in all of our imperfections while we continually point people to Christ who one day will bring his kingdom in perfection. And guys, the church has been doing that in a lot of great ways for centuries, for, for over 2,000 years. And, and sometimes the Christians have really gotten it right. Do you guys realize that, that the church, the Christian church, really led the way in gender equity in our world? And I'll give you an example of that in a minute. Do you know that the first hospitals were started by Christians? The first orphanages were started by Christians. The first you know, public education was started by Christians. The, the beauty and the art and the music of the Renaissance, and those were all Christian-led movements. Unbelievable impact into this world. If you haven't read this book, it's really interesting. It's, it's written by a guy named John Ortberg called Who Is This Man?, talking about Jesus and the impact that he had on the world and has had for centuries. And he says this, the Mediterranean world into which Jesus was born was a world where, outside of Israel, the sexual use of enslaved, illiterate children was neither uncommon nor illegal nor considered particularly scandalous. As O.M. Backey has documented, it was where the church spread in the early centuries after Jesus that girls ceased as a matter of routine as a matter of routine, being disposed of at birth and being enslaved and sexually exploited in childhood. Where the church spread, these things were, were redefined, okay? Because of Jesus' opinions in the, in the scripture of women and their value, which kind of was countercultural to the Roman Empire at that time. So, <laughs> we, we didn't always get it right, though. Right? So we got a lot of things right. We did a lot of great things, but unfortunately, the church is also giving the world things like their crusades and the Inquisition and televangelists. <laughs> and it participated in things like slavery in our own country, used the Bible to prove that slavery was right, and racism that at times have driven people away from God. Not to mention that within ourselves, the Protestant, you know, faith has fractured into thousands of denominations that, that have driven us apart. Consider this story. <clears throat> I need to wet my whistle here real quick because I need to make sure I, I put my full effort into this. Oh, all right. A man was walking along San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge when he saw a woman standing by herself, obviously feeling lonely. He ran up to tell her God loved her. A tear came to her eye. Then he asked her, are you a Christian, a Jew, a Hindu, or what? I'm a Christian, she said. He said, me too. Small world. Protestant or Catholic? Protestant. Me too. What denomination? Baptist. Me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Well, Northern Baptist. He said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? Northern Conservative Baptist, she said. That's amazing. Me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reformed Baptist? 
Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist. Remarkable, me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern region? She said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region. A miracle, he said. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? She said, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He shouted, die, heretic, and pushed her over the rail. (laughs) We've missed it sometimes, right? We've been more about the things we don't have in common than the things we do have in common. We've made those minor things the big things. And it's damaged our reputation and, and the reputation of God at times. I came across this really great analogy that I want to share with you this morning that I feel um, articulates the role that we have as the church in ushering in the kingdom of God. Everyone know what a model home is? They don't have those a lot in St. Joe. Um, but in Kansas City, they have a lot of those. And what it is, is like you go into a new development, a new neighborhood, and so the first thing they do is they build a model home. And so that way, if people want to build a home in that neighborhood, they can come and they can kind of see, hey, here are the types of houses that we're going to build here in terms of price range and how they look and all those things. And then usually the model home is the last one, and then they move out of that and they sell it, okay, at the end. But it kind of gives people a glimpse of this is what this neighborhood's going to be like. Okay, so I want to read a quote to you over here, a great analogy. Uh, This guy named Harvey Kahn, he writes this. He says, perhaps the best analogy to describe all of this is that of a model home. We are God's demonstration community of the rule of Christ in the city. On a tract of earth's land purchased with the blood of Christ, Jesus, the kingdom developer, has begun building new housing. As a sample of what will be, he has erected a model home of what will eventually fill the neighborhood. He now invites the world into that model home to take a look at what will be. The church is the occupant of that model home, inviting neighbors into its open door to Christ. Evangelism is when the signs are up saying, come in and look around. So Wellspring is a model home in St. Joe of what the community, the kingdom of God is like. So when people step into our four walls here or when they see us out in the neighborhood, they ought to experience something divine. They ought to experience something that touches in them a deep place of longing in their hearts. And we're not always going to get it right, but more often than not, when people encounter Wellspring Community Church or its people, it should whet their appetite for more of the kingdom for more of God's plans and purposes for their life in the context of community. That's why we've been saved, to bring life to the world around us, to be a gift to St. Joseph and beyond. And Our hope as the leadership here is that when people come into Wellspring Church on a Sunday morning, that they would feel closer to home than they've ever felt before. We had a a board retreat yesterday, and we invited some people from Wellspring to come, and and one of the things somebody shared was just so, ugh, that was awesome. She said, when I I came here for the first time, she said, it felt like home more than any other church that I'd been in, and and that's what we want. That's our desire, 
that we would be kind of a city within a city, a refuge, but not one that like hoards its blessings, one that, ones that pour it out to the city to be a blessing to others. And Paul sums up exactly what God is up to with the church so beautifully in Ephesians 2. And this is what he says is true about us in heaven. This is uh, in Ephesians 2. We broke it up into, into three different slides. It says, Christ, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. See, as followers of Christ, as part of his kingdom, you guys are a part of something bigger than you ever could imagine. You're a part of of God's home that he's establishing here on this earth. And guys, a lot of people don't know and understand this, but heaven is not going to be some other place out there in space. God is bringing his kingdom here to this earth. He's redeeming and restoring this planet. Heaven will be here. Read about it in Revelation, okay? Chapters 21 and 22, if you've never read about it. It's amazing. And so, I, I, you know, model home kind of sounds kind of, I don't know, businessy, industrial. So I thought of it more of like we should consider Wellspring a kingdom outpost. Like a little dot along the way where people, if they want to see what the kingdom is like, step in here and experience it. A little taste of what heaven will be one day, right? And man, when we were singing a cappella at the end of that last song, and didn't that feel like heaven for a minute? Whew, that was good, right? Now, guys, we're kind of nearing the end of this series, and next Sunday we're just going to wrap it up a little bit, but I don't want to tell you what you're supposed to have learned from this morning, okay? Because it's really, this isn't a message where it's like, I'm going to give you three, three easy steps for the next week to apply. I just want to hear from you for a minute. What stuck out to you from today? What did the Spirit say to you? What are you going to take away from this topic that we talked about this morning. How did it touch you? All right, good. I wasted 20 hours of time this week. So, no, seriously, what, what, what'd you learn? Yes. Yeah, love other people as you love yourself. That way God's kingdom can be known. That's awesome. What else? Yeah. Yeah. She. Yeah. 
Great. Yeah, she says, I'm not just one person. I'm a part of this community, this bigger thing. And so a lot of times that should give us hope that, that God can do something great, maybe not necessarily just in me, but in the community of people who all are believing and living the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. What else? Yeah, Rich? Yeah, the concept of how we bring heaven down to earth and change things right here, right now, right? What else? Anything else? Yeah, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, it's saying all that is gift, right? All life is gift and that change in perspective. And so when we wake up every morning as Christians and we realize what's been given to us through salvation, that we are the keepers, the, the holders of hope and joy and peace and love and all these things that the world is desperate for, shouldn't it change our minds in terms of the way that we approach our day? That when I wake up, I should say, okay, God, you tell me that I'm a gift and you've given me all these things from your spirit that I'm supposed to go and represent the kingdom of God in this world. God, I'm a gift. Like, I've got I've to remind myself of that in the morning and say, God, how do you want to use this gift today? How do you want me to be a gift to somebody else today? Right? Anybody else? Yeah, John? Yeah, how? Yeah. Yeah, he talked about the damaging nature sometimes of, of believing that we're less than, than others. Because a lot of times that, that plays out. If we don't believe that we are who God says that we are, then we're going to walk around thinking that we don't really have much to offer. And that's not true. You've got Jesus to offer, and that's everything. And God says that you are amazing, and you are loved, and you are adored, and you are powerful because of him being in you, not because of anything that you've done. And we have to believe and live like that. And if we don't, we sell the world short, the, the gifts and the blessings that we could be pouring out into them. Well, let's pray.